Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Sean the Baptist Live for this Wednesday, the 20th of January. It is the Feast of St. Sebastian in the modern calendar, also Pope St. Fabian in the traditional calendar. Both those saints uh, an option for today. <clears throat> Mentioned in uh, the, the morning message today about St. Sebastian. He is, is one of those saints that is pretty well known because he is the patron of athletes. And so a lot of times you'll see uh, our kids when they're playing sports and they're athletes and they'll have their their St. Sebastian medals maybe that they wear. And that's a beautiful thing to kind of try to connect our, our Catholic faith with with also our, our sports that we like to play. It's important to keep in mind, though, what comes first. So I always pray to St. Sebastian. Uh, yes, he's the patron saint of sports. And that's because, well, he, he fought the fight. He ran the race. He, he played the game and won for Jesus. I mean, he's most known <clears throat> for being shot to death with arrows. Uh, he's one of those really recognizable saints that uh, if you see a, a saint tied to a post shot full of arrows, or in the world, that's that's Saint Sebastian. Um, but he's one of those famous guys that I put in my I'm not dead yet file. Uh, you know, there's like saints who they get kind of killed, but then they come back to life. Like, you know, Saint Dennis gets his head chopped off and picks it up and, you know, walks and talks to the guy who killed him. Well, St. Sebastian is one of those I'm not dead yet people uh, because literally he gets shot full of arrows to the extent that his his acts of martyrdom says that as though as a porcupine. Not too many times you hear porcupines uh, mentioned in Latin, but yeah, he's uh, shot full of arrows like a porcupine with all little quills and stuff. Uh, but yeah, he is revived by God, gets up and goes back to the people who tried to kill him and said, hey, I'm not dead yet. I don't know if he actually said that, but that would be a good thing to say. Uh, but what he actually says is, hey, um, you need to stop persecuting Christians. And you would think that, you know, a guy who was dead and shot full of arrows, come back to life, would be pretty persuasive. Instead, they club him to death. And this time, I guess it's it's more permanent, uh, at least for this life, because he, he stays dead in this life and, and goes to heaven. So St. Sebastian, uh, we, we ask that he pray for us today, because he is one of those famous saints that reminds us, put God first ahead of everything, even sports. Uh, but we can learn a good lesson from sports, I think, because um, certainly we know that to compete in sports, it requires discipline, requires work, requires pain, even sacrifice. Uh, all those things are necessary if we're going to get to heaven. So our mistake wouldn't be maybe that we we uh, place too much emphasis on sports. The, the danger is that we would think somehow the emphasis we placed on sports to win worldly crowns and trophies that heaven doesn't cost at least that much. If you're willing to get up at, you know, the crack of dawn to go practice for basketball, but not willing to get up to go to mass, um, you're in big trouble because you know what it costs to be good at basketball uh, and you really underestimate what it costs to be good at the spiritual life. So St. Sebastian, pray for us today. Make us a noble athlete of Christ. Uh, that was uh, a term for the martyrs, athletes of Christ, or really all saints. Pray that uh, we can be those beautiful athletes of Christ. So tonight I was um, wanting to pick up on on something that I I started talking about a little bit while earlier. We've we've had um, two really great saints kind of come up in the uh, the church's calendar recently. Um, two saints that well literally left it all. To, to get away. And um, probably the most famous of, of those, those desert kind of people who, who went off to, to live apart, uh, the most famous is Anthony of Egypt, Anthony of uh, the desert. Um, he is, or Anthony the abbot, as he is sometimes known, because he is sort of the, um, the founder of monasticism or becoming a monk. Uh, he, he lived in the fourth century, in Egypt, uh, probably from Alexandria, I think. Uh, so northern Egypt on the uh, Mediterranean Sea. And uh, he was born to a, a well-to-do family. And um, yeah, he kind of got sick of it. His his parents died. And then he, he actually reads uh, about... Um, the scriptures where Jesus meets the rich young man and the, the rich young man wants to follow Jesus, but uh, Jesus says that there's one thing that he lacks, 
And that, that one thing he says, go sell all you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And it's it's the only time in scripture, and this it really got to me <laughs> uh, when I was discerning whether I should be a priest or not and that sort of thing. Um, because it's the only time in scripture where this, this rich young man who encounters Jesus, it literally says in scripture that when Jesus tells him, like, yeah, you're almost there, um, the last thing you need to do is just go sell what you have and give to the poor. Well, un- unfortunately, it says that the face of this this rich young man fell and he became sad because he had many possessions and he, he went away sad. And I I was a little bit like that in that I I had a great job. I, I loved being a software engineer working for Sprint and um, unfortunately, you know, the worldly things can kind of get to you. And I was very aware of that, that, man, I've, I've got what I need and I'm doing well. And I thought of this passage of the rich young man in scripture and I immediately thought, well, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to go away sad. What if, what if Jesus is, is calling me and, and I go away sad? I mean, that, that doesn't sound very good. Um, so I, I, thought, yeah, I need to change my life to, to follow Jesus more carefully. And, you know, maybe that even means, you know, leaving everything, leave my job, leave, leave my house at the time and, and go out and follow Jesus in the, uh, the wilderness of seminary. And, you know, that's what I did. But uh, Anthony, uh, the abbot here, he reads that passage and he thinks, you know, I got, I got tons of stuff. I got more than enough money. Uh, his parents had just died and, and left him a, a bunch of, of money. It was just him and his sister. Uh, so they they had what they needed. Uh, and so the question was, all right, well, what what do I do now? Do I just hang out with, with all this money and kind of live the, the good life? And he, he didn't want to be like the rich young man. And so he decided, no, I think I'm going to give away my part of it. Uh, and, and so he does. And he... He gives away uh, most of his part of the inheritance. He doesn't want to leave his his sister uh, bereft, so uh, he he saves some back for his sister. Um, but then, uh, eventually, he he decides that even even that um, he he's going to give away the rest of it, and he puts his sister in in the care of some nuns, and he sells everything he has, takes the money gives it to the poor, and then goes with absolutely nothing in into the, the wilderness, into the, the, the desert of, of Egypt. Um, and, uh, you know, just to give you a, a little idea of, of what, that, what that might look like, check this out. So this is a monastery out in the Egypt wilderness. This is actually the monastery of St. Paul, the hermit who Anthony goes to visit. And, and we're going to talk about him, so keep in mind, uh, keep in mind, Paul. Um. So you, this is just mainly to give you an idea of uh, exactly what this kind of well wilderness sort of area looks like. You can imagine that monastery is built over top of a, a cave. Uh, when when Anthony and Paul were there, just a cave. Now, of course, more monks want to to live there. So. Uh, uh, that gives you a little idea of the uh, the terrain out there. But uh, Anthony decides, you know what? I'm going to do what this rich young man couldn't do. I'm I'm going. I'm I'm going to sell and get out there. And uh, he he goes first, not not even to live in a cave. Get this. So Saint Anthony of of Egypt, first place he goes, he goes to live in a tomb. Yeah, like it says that he took one of his friends with him. He goes out there and he goes in this tomb and he literally has his friend shut the door behind him and then once a week bring him some bread. And uh, that's it. And, I, you know, it's a, it's a great kind of meditation for us that uh, we should always be thinking of our, our death and, you know, what, what we need to do to be ready to die. Well, Anthony, a pretty serious guy, decided, well, if I'm going to be ready for my death, um, what better place to do it than in a tomb? So he literally goes out and, you know, says, all right, I'm going to live in this tomb. 
I don't know. Um, and you know, you would think it would be bad enough. You know, you're going to go out and, and, and live in a, a tomb. Uh, but what happens when he's in there? It, it's not like, you, you would think at least you would find peace in a tomb. Like there's, you know, there's just dead bodies. It might not smell very nice, but at least you're going to get left alone. I mean, who's going to come bug you if you're living in a tomb? Satan. That's who. If you're going to go live in a tomb, uh, Satan gets attracted to that because he's like, oh, this guy is like super holy, so I, I can't have that. So what he does is Anthony's all shut up in his tomb, trying to get some peace and quiet to talk with God. And Satan shows up in the form of lots of demons. In fact, demons keep coming out from all over the place to pester poor Anthony as he's trying to be alone in his tomb. Uh, demons beat him up. He gets bitten. He gets all kinds of things. And um, when, when we learn about St. Anthony, a lot of his teaching is like how to fight demons. You're like, okay, this, do I really need to do that? And yeah, because what Anthony learned... This is uh, amazing. We'll, we'll read some of his, his um, words, but he actually starts to say that, you know, Satan is really weak. He's powerless. He's a coward. This, this is from a guy who's at night getting beat up. I mean, literally, he's, he's wounded all over. When his friend comes to give him bread one day, Anthony is so beat up when he opens the door to the tomb that he's like, he's dead. He's dead. He takes him back to the city and they... You know, eventually he, he comes to in the middle of the night and Anthony wakes up his friend and says, hey, take me back to the tomb. Don't wake anybody else up. And so he does. I mean, I don't know. It sounds to me like Satan has a lot of power if he's like beaten up poor Anthony like that. But Anthony eventually comes to, to teach that now Satan is, is really powerless. And he has this, this insight. He's like, you know, if Satan were really powerful... Well, he wouldn't have to send all these demons, like a, a huge mob. If he had the power, he wouldn't have to send anybody. He'd just wish it, it'd be. Or he'd come himself, just one person, and he wouldn't have to make a big show. He'd just, like, kill me or something. The fact that he has to come make a big show and send lots and lots of demons, St. Anthony realizes this means the devil actually has no power. And he, he makes a, a point to say to resist him with the sign of the cross. <clears throat> makes the sign of the cross and the demons howl and they're all upset. Uh, but Anthony is safe. So keep that in mind. If you're ever accosted by a demon, um, the sign of the cross is a, is a good way to go uh, to, to help repel some demons. I want to pull up here some of some Anthony's teaching on this. Um, <clears throat> Incidentally, we, we have the, uh, the words of St. Anthony because St. Athanasius, another 4th century bishop, uh, wrote the, the life of St. Anthony. In fact, it's, it's one of St. Athanasius' most famous works. He had a great devotion. He met Anthony multiple times, he says, and so he, uh, he wrote the, the life of St. Anthony. Um, okay, uh, here he says... As far as the, um, therefore, I have had my share of trial from them, meaning the demons. And so he is addressing his spiritual children now who come to him. Um, and he says, uh, for, for he who threatened to, to dry up the sea and seize the world, namely Satan, take note now that he is unable to hinder your asceticism or even speak anything against you. Um, if... He says that if the demons, if you give them attention, they really love it. But he says, quote, if, if one should pay no attention to them, they cry out and lament as though vanquished because they're, they're really just looking to make a show. Therefore, let us also pay no heed, treating them as strangers to us. And let us not obey them, even in the event that they arouse us for prayer or talk to us about fasting. At this point, um... Anthony has, has made quite a, a, a spiritual advancement uh, because what, what's happened is Satan first comes and tries to, to tempt him in, I guess, what you would call normal sorts of, of ways in that he, he sends him uh, a woman to try to tempt him against chastity. 
and and then he he sends him someone to tempt him to to eat and have food and all over the place satan is using well the the kind of things that we would normally expect that we would be tempted by but satan gets so upset because anthony doesn't go for any of it he he actually prays more and so satan gets really upset that all of his temptations they're not working on on Anthony. Instead, the devil is screeching out in anger because Anthony is just becoming more and more holy uh, the more the, the devil tries to, to tempt him. And so he says, uh, you know, I'm going to have to up my game a little bit. Uh, but Anthony's on to it. Um, he says, where are you? Why didn't you appear in the beginning? Um, oh, back up a little bit. He says um, that... Uh, the devil reveals himself after all these temptations. And he says, I am the friend of fornication. I set its ambushes and I worked its seductions against the young. I have even been called the spirit of fornication. How many who wanted to live prudently I have deceived. How many of those exercising self-control I won over when I agitated them. I am the one on whose account the prophet reprimands those who fall, saying, You have been led astray by a spirit of fornication. For it was by my devices they were tripped. I am he who so frequently troubled you and so many times was overturned by you. Yeah, Anthony had conquered so many times that the devil is saying, like, this is what I do. This is my plan. I tried to lead people astray like this and you, you wouldn't do it. The beleaguered devil undertook one night to assume the form of a woman and to imitate her every gesture solely in order that he might beguile Anthony. But in thinking about the Christ and considering the excellence won through him and the intellectual part of the soul, Anthony extinguished the fires of his opponent's deception. Once again, the enemy cast before him the softness of pleasure. But he, angered and saddened, as we might expect, pondered the threat of the fire of judgment and the worm's work and setting these in opposition, he passed through these testings unharmed. All these things took place to the enemy's shame, for he who considered himself to be like God was now made a buffoon before a mere youth. Anthony was probably, uh, you know, in his late teens at this point. And he who vaunted himself against flesh and blood was turned back by a flesh-bearing man. Working with Anthony was the Lord who bore flesh for us and gave to the body the victory over the devil so that each of those who truly struggle can say, it is not I, but the grace of God, which is in me. That is, of course, referring to St. Paul. Isn't that amazing that Anthony is able to literally go toe-to-toe and do battle with demons and Satan? And I have to say, as a, a spiritual guide myself, I don't recommend this, okay? In fact, normally if um, someone that I would be guiding in, in spiritual direction or something would, would come to me and say, hey, you know, I think I think Satan or a, a demon is appearing to me. What should I say? I'd say, don't say anything. You know, make the sign of the cross and, and don't talk to Satan. You know, as my, my friends on the Abiding Together podcast, Sister Miriam and, and Heather and Kim, they, they uh, say, uh, one of their friends, stop talking to the damn snake. Don't talk to Satan. Don't do it. You're you're going to be way outmatched because Satan is uh, he's a fallen angel. So he's he's way powerful, way smarter than us. But Anthony is one of these guys that um he has so disciplined himself that the the only thing left for him to overcome is to fight Satan himself. And so I don't recommend it for the average person, but for for Anthony, that's that's where God had him. He was ready, and so that's uh, that's what he went out to do. So, uh, gosh, it's it's amazing. He does the battle, and what does he do? He turns around and he tries to teach others. So notice what we can do when we are tempted by Satan. Number one, make the sign of the cross, but then rely not on our own power. Anthony is so quick to say, even though he's doing all these these battles and trying to you know go toe to toe with some demons. Um, it's not him. It, it's God. It's because God is, is conquered. He's vanquished Satan. Um, so after, after he gets done uh, living in the tomb, by the way, he spent about 20 years just living in this tomb. 
Okay, some of you watching tonight are like, you know, less than 20 years old, maybe. I know we've got some kids that watch with their parents, but older kids. Um, 20 years, Anthony lived in a tomb, okay? So then some of his friends come, um, and he, he tries to get away from them. So he decides to leave the tomb, and he goes to live in a fortress, an old abandoned fortress, so that he can get away from the people because he's becoming famous now. Everyone's hearing about him after 20 years of living in a tomb. So he goes to a fortress where he can barricade himself inside. Well, eventually he becomes so famous that his friends come and they try to tear down the door to the fortress so they can kidnap him and and take him back. Um, and, and again, they, they come and they, they hear demons inside and everything. Um, and eventually... This is this is kind of an important thing. Anthony lived most of his life trying to be a- alone, where he could do some some battle in the the desert. But again, here where this is a unique calling, uh, we're not really made to to live alone. Uh, we're we're made to live in community. This is this is by God. You know, for the first time he created Adam. It says it's not good that he be alone. Um, so to be a, a hermit like this, and we're going to talk about Paul the hermit next. Um, to be isolated out in the wilderness all by oneself, uh, it's not normally spiritually good. Because in order to gain heaven, we, we need to grow in charity, uh, the love of God and the love of our neighbor. And it is often through loving our neighbor, the ones we can see, that we, we learn to grow in love of God, who we can't see. It's very difficult to love the God we can't see uh, when we, we don't have our neighbors who we do see to love. And I know that's that's true for me, especially whenever I feel like maybe my relationship with God is is getting a little down, and I, I just feel like there's distance. Maybe the the solution for me is to actually go spend some time serving others, go find my brothers and sisters in need, call up the person who needs a, a visit in their home, go bring communion, go anoint someone, go help some poor person, go you know call someone who's lonely, go visit a friend. Um, it's actually in loving others, then then I come back like, oh, my, my relationship with God seems better now. Isn't that nice? Uh, well, God made us this way. So keep that in mind that um, to be completely isolated is normally not good for our spiritual life. And this becomes true even for Anthony, because eventually all these people that keep coming out to see him, he realizes that these are people who also want to do what he did. They want to leave the the world behind they're going out and they're living in caves too they find their own cave and they try to do the anthony thing and live by themselves uh and eventually they they come to anthony and say hey i need help uh i got these demons attacking me what do i do and so finally anthony comes out of his fortress and he begins to teach and this is why eventually he starts to form people around him and he creates a little monastery a monastery would be a place where monks or those who want to live kind of isolated by themselves live. And so he is considered the, the founder of monasticism, you know, monk life, um, so that people can be alone and isolated from the world, but then also have some community, have, have brothers or sisters to live in community with. This is what Anthony does, and so he becomes the first abbot. So sometimes uh, you'll see Anthony the abbot as his name uh, an abbot is the head monk, as it were, of a, a monastery. So uh, we have uh, St. Benedict's Abbey here in Atchison, right by Benedictine College, very famous. And so Abbot James Albers is the abbot. He is, you know, he was a monk. He pledged himself to St. Benedict's Abbey, you know, as a monk and kind of came up to the abbey. And then the the monks of the abbey elected him to be their their head monk, their their abbot. Comes from the word Abba for, for father. Um well, that is descended of this tradition of St. Anthony the Abbot, St. Anthony of Egypt, St. Anthony of the Desert. Uh, he becomes the father of a little group of people who want to come to the desert and, and get away from God and truly follow the call of the gospel to leave everything. And so he helps people. And then eventually there gets to be enough of them that they go and they form their own monasteries. And then the, the abbots of the other monasteries would come to Anthony and he would teach them and Notice then the way one person responding to the grace of God, Anthony just saying, okay, I'll, I'm going to go do this. What if I radically live out the gospel? He doesn't expect that he's going to 
draw a bunch of people to himself. In fact, he wants the opposite. He's going to the wilderness to be away from everybody. He doesn't want to start something. He wants to get away from something. He wants to be alone with God. He live in a tomb and then in a fortress so that people can't get to him. And in the end, he becomes the father of monasticism, the founder of religious community life. Isn't that amazing to see? Sometimes God's plans and our plans, they... God gives us a little bit of the plan and says, okay, go do this. Anthony, I want you to leave everything and go to the wilderness. Okay, God, that sounds great. I'm going to go live in the wilderness by myself. It'll be awesome. And little by little, God reveals more of the plan. Okay, I like the wilderness thing, Anthony, but other people are coming and it's time for you to help them. You know, you can imagine Anthony thinking, oh, God, I'm in a fortress. I want to stay away from people. God's like, no, no, no. Enough of that. Now your holiness is going to be helping other people get holy and giving direction and help. And so I I guess that kind of reminds me that life can be uh, an evolving journey. It, It grows and God's plan grows with us. So we may think that my life is about being by myself. And God may say, hey, you're going to be the founder of religious community life. Who knew? Well, I mean, God did. Uh, And eventually Anthony came to know it uh, as well. All right, so that's um, some of the, the important parts about uh, Anthony of, of the desert. I'm going to try to check in here and, and see who we've got on. Uh, let's see. Okay, so Larry Weatherly. Oh, Mark Gilstrap is on. Uh, as always, welcome, Mark. I saw him at Mass today. And uh, Satan allowed to remain as we have a choice to choose him over Satan. Larry Weatherly has that question. Um so we, we always have a choice uh, about whether we follow Satan or not. He's he's cunning. He he presents things to our our mind the way angels can do to tempt us. But um, ultimately, like Anthony, uh, we can have nothing to fear because we 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 come to see the way Satan works and are able to kind of recognize it ahead of time. In fact, there's even a, a story uh, as as Anthony is is making his way to his fortress. Um, he sees a, what is it? It's some kind of a a silver vessel. Let's see if I can find it. Oh, yes, it's in paragraph 11. So um, going out the next day from the tomb, he was. this is having conquered Satan. So he's 35 years old now. Uh, going out the next day from the tomb, he was even more enthusiastic in his devotion to God. Uh, and in meeting the old man that he mentioned earlier, his friend that brings him food, he asked him to live with him in the wilderness. But when he declined, both because of advanced age and because such a practice was not yet customary, Anthony set out immediately for the mountain. So he's, he's heading to a mountain in the desert. Once more, the enemy, observing his zeal and hoping to thwart it, threw in his path the apparition of a great silver dish. So this would be something pleasing to the eyes, something from Anthony's past life that he would like nice things. But Anthony, knowing the craft, notice it, knowing the craft of the despiser of goodness, stood looking at the dish and exposed the devil in it, saying, a dish here in the wilderness? Where did it come from? This way has not been traveled, nor is there a trace of any travelers here. Since it is large, it could not have been missed if it fell. Or if it had been, the person who lost it would have found it when he returned and searched, since this place is a desert. This is the craft of the devil. You will not frustrate my purpose by this devil. Take this with you to destruction. As soon as he said this, it vanished like smoke from a fire. How about that? See, Anthony's gotten so good at discerning how the devil works that it, it doesn't doesn't even phase him. He he stops and he thinks, wait a minute, this is a temptation from Satan, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. The father of lies is tempting me. I'm not going for that. How about that? So we see that uh, little by little, we we grow. We get better. And uh, with that, I might, I might uh, give one more kind of teaching from St. Anthony here. Um... And that is kind of the the way to live each day. Uh, if you're if you're going to go to the the wilderness as as Anthony does, um, you're essentially saying 
you know, the the future, um, you know, I'm not going to worry a whole about it. Oh, let me let me grab Larry's other question. Larry Weatherly has a uh, one other question, um, and I'm going to grab it. He's like, "Why did God allow this?" It, it's a lot like the Book of Job. Uh, in in fact, Anthony mentions Job um, that. Satan only has that power because God allowed it. Uh, and and so the, the demons are fundamentally weak, but God allows them to have some power. Uh, so this is what Anthony, after being, you know, he gets beat up in his tomb. So just left half dead. And, and then um, it, and then it finally says in paragraph 10, in this circumstance also, the Lord did not forget the wrestling of Anthony, but came to his aid. For when he looked up, he saw the roof being opened, as it seemed, and a certain beam of light descending toward him. Uh, it, it's amazing because Anthony here has actually gone back to the tomb after being you know, beaten to death. And he's like, okay, bring bring more. Um <laughs> Anthony actually taunts him. He says, here I am, Anthony, I do not run from your blows, for even if you give me more, nothing shall separate me from the love of Christ. Wow. Uh, and so the devil comes to give him more, uh, but then this light from, from heaven comes down, uh, and suddenly it says the demons vanished from view, the pain of his body ceased instantly, and the building was much more intact. It was being shaken so much by all the demons. Aware of the assistance of both, breathing more easily and relief from the sufferings, Anthony entreated the vision that appeared, saying, Where were you? Why didn't you appear in the beginning so that you could stop my distress? And a voice came to him, I was here, Anthony, but I waited to watch your struggle. And now, since you persevered and were not defeated, I will be your helper forever, and I will make you famous everywhere. Now, that, that does sound a little bit like the story of, of Job, doesn't it? Uh, where God allows some, some testing, but only for a period of, of time. And then in the end, Job proves himself. Now, why does God require this kind of proving? You think, we don't know. This is God's wisdom. But notice what happens with Anthony. He proves himself. He, he shows that he's going to fight these temptations. He's going to fight against the, the flesh and, and food and temptations of the eyes and even temptations of the mind. Anthony fights against all of it. And God sees that, no, he's serious. He is really my servant, my friend. Uh, so, yeah, Anthony, now I know you, you really love me. So you see that if I allow anything, it's only for your good. And now you see how much you really love me. You know, I might just say at this point that um, Mother Teresa, for instance, spent 40 nights in a, not a physical being beat up, but mentally not not recognizing the presence of God. For, for 40 years, she went through what, what sometimes like John of the Cross would call a dark night of the soul. Um, this time where God seems absent. And uh, I, I don't know that I've quite experienced anything to the the point that that they did but one of the things i i wondered for a long time how how could that be how could you have how could you go on uh because i know like how god is so important in my life how would i go on if i didn't have the the presence of god um but here's what i i've come to realize through my own experience of something like a dark night in the middle of it the thought came to me i realized just the fact that I experience so much the pain of the absence of God, the, the pain of not being able to say with complete faith how much I love God and how great God is, to be feeling like, I don't know, to be confused, just the fact that that is so painful actually showed me, wait a minute, like my, my whole life really is oriented around God. I really do love God. Because the fact that I would even think that I don't is so painful. Uh, to be absent from God, to at least feel like we're absent from God, if that is the thing that creates the most struggle, the most difficulty in life, well, that's actually pretty good. I mean, most people, ordinary people who maybe don't know God, 
are walking around thinking, what's the worst thing that could happen to me? Oh, I, I, you know, I don't have enough money, or I can't buy the thing I want, or I lose my, my job, or my health, or whatever. I, I mean, I worry about those things, and I'm, I'm not like immune to that, but truly some of the greatest suffering I've known in my life is when it seemed like God was distant, where I, I, I didn't have the intimacy that I normally had, and it kind of hit me in that, that my whole life really is ordered around God. Like, if God isn't real, if this is if this is all what it's supposed to be, then, then my life is pointless. Okay, and that can be a depressing thought to think, yeah, my life, my life could be pointless. Except it's not. And really, the fact that anyone would stake their whole life on God, that that's the greatest witness there is. It says, yes, I am living my life in such a way that if there is no God, I am a complete fool. Paul says this, if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, then we are the most pitiable of creatures because it's pointless. And so to some extent, me living my life, especially as a celibate person pointing to the marriage in heaven, it's, it's essentially trying to say it's all real. You know, the high school kids when I was a chaplain, they, they always want to talk about demons. <laughs> it's like, Father Sean, tell us about exorcisms. Like, why, why is it that they want to know about demons all the time? Well, I think this is it because I don't mind, I don't mind talking about it. And Anthony obviously doesn't mind talking about it because if demons are real, then, then the other angels are real and a whole world that we can't see, a whole world of the spirit is real. One of the most comforting things that I meditate on these days, it's, it's a simple little phrase, but it's one that um, Sister Miriam on the Abiding Together podcast pointed out that one of their friends who's an exorcist uh, told them, they were asking him, like, what is, the, what is the most important thing you've learned being an exorcist? And he simply said, it's all real. Mary, intercession of the saints, holy water, candles, all it's all real. Satan, fallen angels, good angels, saints, it's all real. Those three words are just a mantra that almost can automatically rouse me back to faith. It's all real. I, and I invite you to use that. That I mean, imagine much as we look at Anthony as like, oh, he's getting beat up by Satan. You know who didn't doubt that there were spiritual powers capable of things? Anthony. He's like, I don't doubt that there's God. I don't doubt there's a world I can't see. I get beat up. You know, sometimes the spirit world comes into the physical world. So Anthony didn't doubt the presence of the spirit world. Sometimes uh, just the fact that we can know it's all real, that that gives me all the comments I need to keep going. Okay, so that's that's a little bit more. The last thing I wanted to say about Anthony is um, his, his caution to live each day uh, new, starting over. Um, he says, let us, let us hold in common the same eagerness not to surrender what we have begun, either by growing faint-hearted in the labors or by saying, we have spent a long time in this discipline. Rather, as though making a beginning daily, let us increase our dedication for the entire lifespan of man is very brief. Here's another quote. He says, he indeed... <clears throat> Or this is uh, Athanasius speaking of Anthony. He indeed did not hold time past in his memory. Otherwise, he, he didn't spend a whole lot of time meditating on the past and what had been. But day by day, as if making a beginning of his asceticism, that means the discipline of fasting and things, he increased his exertion for advance, saying continually to himself Paul's word about, quote, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. And recalling also the passage in which Elijah the prophet says, the Lord lives before whom I stand today. He observed that in saying today, he was not continuing the time past, but as one always establishing a beginning. He endeavored each day to present himself as the sort of person ready to appear before God. That is pure of heart, and prepared to obey his will and no other. And he used to tell himself that from the career of the great Elijah, as from a mirror, the ascetic must always acquire knowledge of his own life. 
that beginning again each day. Today is the day I've got. I will do it today. In the recovery world, 12-step programs, we speak of one day at a time. If you get too far back in the past, you're going to look at all the things you did wrong and think, ah, I can't be any good. If you look at the future, you're going to think, this is too hard. I could never keep up my discipline for that long. Rather, all we have is today. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give a shout out here uh, today. Uh, the um, One of the great NFL quarterbacks, Philip Rivers, with the Rams for a long time. Uh, he's he's retiring uh, with the San Diego, I should say. He's uh, retiring uh, today uh, from what, like 16 years at an NFL quarterback. Um, he, along with some other sports people that are Catholics and spiritual, like Mike Sweeney of the, the Royals, uh, their spiritual director back in the day gave them a, a Latin phrase to, to help them focus their, their day. Uh, Nunc chapi literally means now I begin or now I have begun. Uh, and it, it was really great to see today that uh, Philip Rivers in his, his final statement upon retiring uh, said he, he looked forward to now the, the time with his family and with, with all the things he's accomplished already, he ended by saying, Nunc Chapey, now I begin. Um, yeah, because I'm just like Philip Rivers now as a retired NFL quarterback. He's got all the money he could possibly need, doesn't need money. Uh, but he's a young guy. He's what, 30, 38 years old? Probably something like that. Um, yeah, literally, now I begin. Well, Anthony says do that every day. Now I begin. All right, so with that said, um, Paul, uh, I, Anthony is the, the first abbot, monastic life. Um, eventually, um, Anthony has this thought in his cave as he's living there. He's like, you know, I bet no one else has gotten this far into the desert and lives by themselves. To which God replies to him, oh no. Au contraire, Anthony. I, I don't know if God spoke French, but he, he does say, um, nope, there's somebody else. And you know what? I want you to go meet him. And so uh, Anthony sets off into the wilderness to the, the west to go find this this person that's been revealed to him who's living out there. And, and that person is Paul the Hermit. Paul was born in Thebod, or, uh, and then from Thebes. Uh, you can kind of look that up on a map if you want where Paul is from. But Paul has much the same kind of beginning experience as Anthony. He decides to go to the wilderness, but his, um, his reason for going to the wilderness is a little bit different. Paul goes to the wilderness because he's fleeing from his own family. He too is a young person. Uh, he has a sister, but his sister is married, and when his parents die, so similar to Anthony, uh, he inherits. But his brother-in-law decides that, you know, if he can get Anthony out of, the, or get Paul out of the way, he can take his inheritance. So the rather suspect brother-in-law reports Paul to the Roman authorities as being a secret Christian to create trouble. So Paul has to flee. Uh, and goes and lives in a house in the country. But his brother-in-law finds out and tries to catch up to him. So Paul then has to flee to the wilderness, and he goes until he finds a cave. And uh, his plan is to stay in the cave, you know, until the trouble dies down, and then things will be okay. Uh, this is all, you know, late 3rd century, early 4th century, so before Constantine makes it legal to be Christian. Lots of persecution. Well... Paul gets to this little cave where he's going to hang out for a little bit, he thinks. But something very interesting happens. Paul decides he likes the cave. It's it's actually kind of nice. It's It's got kind of a dark tunnel that it enters. And then in the middle of it, it's open to the sky. And and there's a palm tree. And so this, this palm tree, uh, Paul finds, well, he can eat the dates for food. And he can take the palm branches and make clothes. And so that's what he does. He literally, like you would like you would weave a basket, he weaves clothing out of palm branches. That's that's what he wears, and he eats dates for about twenty years. That's it. That's all he does. He he stays in the cave and he he forgets totally about going back to the world because he likes it. And so there he is eating dates, wearing palm branches, uh, and then after twenty years, God decides, you know, let's change things up a little bit, 
And so he sends a, a raven with a half a loaf of bread every day. Isn't that nice? It's, if you think back to scripture, if that sounds familiar, ravens also brought food to Elijah, the prophet, who also lived in a cave um, by a stream. And in this cave with the palm tree, I forgot to mention, there's a spring. So he's got water. Uh, he's got a palm tree. Uh, he, and he's got fresh air. What more could one want? So after 20 years of living in this cave, a raven comes every day and brings him half a loaf of bread. So that's that's <clears throat> how things are set when Anthony goes to find him. Now I'll I'll let you read the uh, the life of Saint Paul was was written by uh, Saint Jerome. Um, so Athanasius wrote the life of Saint Anthony. Saint Jerome uh, lives a little bit later. Also, then he writes the the life of Saint Paul the Hermit. Anyway, Anthony is going out to to meet Paul, and he doesn't know where to find him. I mean, he, all he knows is he's been revealed in a dream that there's this other hermit guy living out there, and he's going to go find him. Well, he, he meets uh, a centaur creature, so um, half horse, half man. If you ever see an icon and there's a like a monastic-looking guy running out talking to a guy with the body of a horse and the head of a man, that, that's Anthony going out to, to find. In fact, do I... I don't know. Do I have it? Mm, okay. In in this little icon, if you if you look up on the the road there, uh, there's actually Anthony talking to the the horse man guy. So the upper left hand corner is uh, Anthony setting off on his journey, and then he meets the centaur who tells him this is this is the direction to go. Here is where you are going to find this uh, Paul guy. That, that you are looking for. Um, and then the bottom is in the two of them meeting. And notice that they're they're hugging and embracing. They've never met each other, but each of them has been told in a dream about the other. So when they meet each other, for, for, well, first, first of all, um, Paul shuts the, the door of his cave and won't let Anthony in. Because <laughs> you're like, I'm a hermit, get away. Uh, but Anthony sleeps at his door and stays there. So eventually he realizes in a dream, oh, this I'm supposed to meet this person. And they come out and they hug each other and they greet each other by name. It's like, Paul, Anthony. And they know each other, even though they've never met, because it's been revealed to each of them in a dream that the, they're going to meet. Well, Anthony thinks that uh, he is so happy to have another hermit friend, uh, someone who understands his life. Uh, and he thinks that Paul is going to be his best friend. Well, Paul says, uh, no. Actually, it was revealed to me in a dream that you are here to bury my dead body. And then he's like, no, you got to be kidding me. We just met. This is going to be great. Well, <laughs> Paul is 113 years old at this time. Anthony is 90. Um, Paul says, no, you're, you're going to bury my body. Uh, but before you do that, um, I want you to go back to your monastery and get the cloak that Bishop Athanasius gave you. Now, Anthony's like, I've nobody knows that Bishop Athanasius gave me a cloak. I, I mean, I don't talk with anybody about that. How does he know this? Well, it was revealed in a dream. Uh, and really what Paul was trying to do was to, to get Anthony to leave so that he could die. And he would he would spare Anthony the, the trauma of seeing him die. So Anthony does it. He goes back to his monastery. He gets the cloak that Athanasius the same Athanasius who writes the life of St. Anthony that we were just talking about. He goes, he gets the cloak, and as he's going back to meet Paul back at his cave, he sees Paul's spirit go up to heaven. And so, of course, he's afraid that he's died. And when he gets to Paul's cave, he sees that Paul is kneeling down with his arms outstretched in prayer and his eyes raised to heaven, and he thinks maybe he's still alive. So he kneels down next to him. But he's not making any noise, and so he realizes, no, Paul is dead. Paul, in fact, had died in his body, stayed in the form of prayer. So he, he wraps Paul's body in, in the cloak of Athanasius, and then he goes out to bury him, and he realizes, wait a minute, how am I going to dig a grave in the middle of the wilderness? I don't have anything to dig a grave with. Just then, uh, two lions come out. Cue the lions. And uh, they fall down at the uh, the body of Paul, almost to like worship. Uh, they are apparently familiar with Paul and his holiness. And then they start to dig. 
and the lions dig a hole in the ground big enough for a man's body. And so then Paul can place, uh, our, uh, Anthony can place the body of Paul in the hole that the, the lions had dug. And then the lions, after having done their duty, uh, they come and they start to, to lick Anthony's hands and his feet and they want a blessing. So Anthony gives the lions a blessing and they go back off to the wilderness. So if you ever see a, a saint with a couple lions, that is St. Paul the Hermit, uh, who is having his grave dug um, by, the, by the lions. Okay, so um, one last little bit of that story. I mentioned how uh, Paul would make his little cloak out of um, uh, the, the palm branches and stuff. Well, Anthony, when he buries his body in the cloak of Athanasius... He takes Paul's little palm suit back with him. And uh, Anthony had then had such a, a devotion to St. Paul that on twice a year, on Easter and, and Pentecost, he, he puts on the little palm branch suit that Paul had made. Um, so isn't it, I, I love how it, it's just beautiful that when, when the saints, as great as they are individually, when you see like saints coming together to meet other saints. So you've got Paul of Thebes, or Paul the first hermit, um, meeting Anthony, the first monk, the first abbot, uh, Athanasius, probably one of the most famous first bishops in the church, writes the story of St. Anthony. Jerome, the person who translates the whole Bible into Latin, who himself lives in a cave, Oh, by the way, the cave in which Jesus was born at Bethlehem. That's where Jerome goes to live. There he translates the whole Bible into Latin. He writes the life of, of St. Paul. And so we can know about these, these amazing uh, heroes, really, of, of Christianity. Now, I, I bring these up because it's the fruit of my own prayer. We, we had the, the Feast of St. Paul uh, on Friday. And then Anthony would have been on, on Sunday uh, had uh, it not been Sunday, and we would lose the feast then. But um, these two great early people who show us, if you take the word of God seriously, you say, all right, don't hold anything ahead of God. Oh, yeah, sure, right. I mean, I'll, I'll have my fancy cars and my fancy job, and I'll do that, but, but oh, yeah, God's first. Okay, it's, it's possible to be rich, and put God first. It is. It has to be. Otherwise, there'd be a whole group of people who couldn't be saved. But Jesus does say how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's harder. Anthony had to struggle with his own problems, but they got holy. Paul, Anthony, Athanasius, Jerome. These are people who got away. Athanasius, I, I I didn't mention a whole lot about him, but you think, oh, he's a bishop. At least he's got it. He got exiled from his diocese three times because he was preaching the truth, and the the Arians, the heretics, didn't like it, and so the church ran him off. He's the bishop. He's there to govern and teach the faith, and the people didn't like the true teaching of the church, and so they ran him off. Boy, we could use bishops like Athanasius today, couldn't we? How many times today do we see that our bishops are trying to fit in with society? Oh, we're not going to stick out. We're not going to speak forcefully. We're not going to really hold up the, the teachings of, of Jesus and his church because, well, society is just not open to it. And if I teach that, my people might leave me. And I don't know. I want to maintain support. Athanasius got exiled three times from his own diocese because his people just wouldn't listen anymore. Guess whose name we know today? Athanasius. Do we know any of the people who kicked him out? Uh, Arius. He's a heretic. Everybody knows his name as what not to do. What we need are people who are courageous. Courageous like Paul to say, I'm, I'm going to go live by myself, get closer to God. I kind of like it out here. Or Anthony, who says, I don't need all this stuff. I'm, I'm going to go live in the wilderness. I might just uh, encourage you all then to, to kind of Maybe think about what is it that you need? What do you, what do you not need? And I'll end with this, this story. And this is, this is a personal story. Uh, a lot of you know that uh, I'm a scout, a longtime scout. 
Um, I was just organizing uh, yesterday, in fact, uh, my, my time to go out to Philmont Scout Ranch in New Mexico this summer. I was supposed to go again last summer. Of course, it was canceled, so I'm looking forward to getting back this year. But there was uh, a time when I was a seminarian, and I was very much struggling with this idea of leaving everything to follow Jesus. Is God calling me, like the rich young man, to leave everything? In that case, it, would, it meant leaving my job, selling my house, going to seminary, giving up the idea of being married, which was a really big thing for me. It meant leaving a lot behind to follow Jesus. But I didn't want to go away sad like the rich young man, so I, I was going to give it a shot. Well, in the middle of that, I got to go to Philmont, the Boy Scout uh, Scout Ranch in northern New Mexico in the Rocky Mountains, to go backpacking for 12 days. Now, talk about leaving a lot behind. If you're going to go backpacking, you, you leave a lot behind because you got to carry it for 12 days on your back. Yeah, I, I was literally like even saying uh, a knife, a fork, and a spoon. I, I don't need all that. I'll take a spork. It's a spoon and a fork, and I'll, I'll break half of it off and... You know, you're trying to save weight. So you don't take very much. But there you are out in the middle of the wilderness. And I remember being out there backpacking, you know, literally out in the middle of nowhere. No cell phones in, in those days. Bears, wilderness. It was great. And I was having the time of my life. I loved it. And I remember one night uh, we got into one of the camps where there's a, a staff cabin. So the staff that lives out there and does like program and stuff they were living in a little cabin in the woods with, with candles for their lamps, a wood-burning stove to cook their meals and heat, uh, a well to get their water from, and they were happy. They were loving it, and they lived there all summer. And I remember we got there, and we got our camp set up, and then we were sitting on the front porch uh, of this little staff cabin, and, and they bring out a banjo and a, a guitar, and they start start playing music, and I'm singing, and... Then it starts to rain, and there's the rain coming down. It's like a tin roof on, on top of this porch. And so there I am, singing campfire songs in the middle of a forest, in the middle of mountains nowhere, with candles for light, and I was happy. I, I remember at that moment just feeling this this wave of happy surety come over me that, wait a minute, I... I don't have anything with me. I don't have my fancy electronics, my computer. I, I don't have any fancy clothes. I'm covered in, in dirt. And I've got a harmonica, a, a banjo, and some candles, and some rain. And I am happy. I don't have anything. And I'm happy. And that's when I, I really feel like something happened to me that I got the courage to say, you know what, you don't need a whole lot of stuff to be happy. I really found God out there at, at Philmont, and a lot of people do. Um, and I think this is what surprised Paul when he got out to his little cave. He got out to the cave to hide temporarily, and he found that he liked it. He's like, I like this cave. I think I'll stay. And he did. Anthony got out to the wilderness and said, you know what? I, I'm going to fortify myself against the world. I, I, I like this. I got out to Philmont in the middle of nowhere with nothing in a world that says you got to have stuff and you got to have everything. And I found out, you know what, I, I like this. And so it did give me the courage to, to leave everything, as it were. Now, obviously, I still have a lot of stuff. Sean the Baptist is, is live tonight via a lot of stuff. Uh, if you want to send me a donation to pay for the stuff, that's great. I'm going to look into some funding for the Sean the Baptist show uh, to get some more lights. You see, I'm trying to get some, some light uh, on me here and things to, so I look less blue. But... Um, I hope you've enjoyed this little kind of journey tonight through uh, a possibility for what it looks like to radically follow Jesus. Now, are you called to sell your house and leave your family and, and turn your, your wife over to the care of some nuns like, like Anthony did with his sister? No, probably not. Okay, uh, everything with prudence. But at least keep in mind that some of the things you're holding on to that you think you need to make you happy might actually be the things holding you back, making you sad. If you're willing to risk everything on God, God will never out, be outdone in generosity. That is what Paul and Anthony found out, Athanasius, Jerome. It's, it's the lesson that God wants to teach all of us. Prefer nothing to the love of God. If that means you live in a cave with a palm tree, do it. If that's what God calls you to. 
If it means he caused you to the sacrifice of, of being rich and having money and having to be responsible for all that money and all the people then and be judged on what you did with it, and that's what God calls you to, well, then do that. Do it detached in a holy way, but do that. Be holy as God calls you to be holy. And that means prefer nothing to the love of God. Whether it's a cave or a castle, prefer nothing to the love of God. All right, that's a little tour of Heaven's Hermits. You know what? Something tells me I'm into something good. Yeah, those those hermits, two hermits. Uh, I, I hope you've enjoyed these hermits, though. Paul, the first hermit. Anthony, who started as a hermit, became the first abbot. First monk, found a religious life. Imagine what God can do for you if you follow his plan. Go where he wants you to. And imagine what incredible things God will do with your life if you are willing to detach yourself from your plans and your stuff and say, God, do with me what you will. I want your plan. Until next week, I'm Father Sean, Sean the Baptist, and we'll see you back next Wednesday for another episode of Sean the Baptist Live. God bless you.